Okay. I think I'm doing okay here. Yep. There we go. Good morning. Well, just to, again, uh, I'd like to continue each week as we go through this. We take periodic breaks. Uh, For example, next week uh, is the missions uh, conference focus. So we will take a a break from the equip hour, and then we'll resume again the following week. So the uh, the verses that I will be covering, uh, verses chapter one, verses ten through twelve, will kind of just have a split between those, like much like Marx did that. But where we're at within this study is is again this this section that we will call that we, this the the greatness of our salvation um, in the un, just the unfolding of the verses, the all the preliminary verses within chapter 1. And this will keep us really as it helps us to focus on our past remembrance and these anchors that we keep continue to reinforce. And today, again, we're going to try to build on the anchors in our lives that we need, um, and that is really to focus on the greatness of our salvation. So what would be, uh, I think, the objective that I would like to uh, have accomplished today and as well as the next time we meet which is is that we would worship God and rejoice recognizing our privileged place in the salvation plan through Jesus Christ. Just to get a glimpse of today is that I talked with Michael briefly yesterday as he is preparing and begin this study of Malachi. And I I think it's appropriate a couple different things. This focus today is going to be on half-hearted worship. And, and, And actually, when we stop to pause to look at the fact that we've been studying the prophets for a long period of time now, is that I hope today is that we can have a better perspective of what was prompting and what was driving and what was the desires and the longing for of these prophets of the Old Testament. And and actually, this is the verses that we're going to be focusing on today. That we would, again, heighten our worship to God and to recognize our privileged place. As I want to give you an illustration of something before we get into looking at this, but to give you an illustration, is that we're, as we've kind of aged a little bit, uh, <laughs> that you, you must say is that you do change your perspective. Agreed? In other words, if you take yourself back to when you were um, 21, how you viewed life, uh, you had a perspective on that. In fact, much of it was very uh, short-sighted, I have to say, is that you kind of lived for... Today, the month, maybe, and you just didn't quite look down. But as we have aged, obviously, gracefully, that we have matured in that perspective, and as that we, we tend to look back a little differently. At the same time, is, is that we're more reflective, and we look forward uh, a little bit differently as well. And we've, uh, what I've come to this place of conviction is that, as believers, that whatever we have gone through in life is that as we have experienced life, and even trials and challenges and persecution, potentially, within our lives, is that it changes everything. It changes your perspective. Until you live that. And so often, we find ourselves um, complaining, or we get frustrated. And as I think of what some of the points that Mark was making over the last several weeks, is that what changes... Why do we not have a proper perspective of trials and suffering? And I believe that today, hopefully, we can again to build on some of those anchors. And a lot of this is just focusing on the greatness of the salvation we have. The illustration I have is, is that we, often things, when, you, when we think things are bad, are they really that bad? And 
as you know, we, we've um, we've had um, a little challenge and a little a little situation in our family where our our my sister's um, boy, he's seventeen, Nate, is that he has cancer, and in October of last year is that he was literally on a soccer field playing a defensive back in a great game, and the next day he was getting a CT scan that uh, with diagnosis of lymphoma, and he began chemotherapy and has been in intense chemotherapy since November, and that uh, is going to continue for another year and a half, actually. So you take a 17-year-old that his perspective totally changes. But I want to tell you is, is that if you look at um, God's greater purposes of all, is that it changes my perspective. It changes Lori's perspective. Because whatever we're going through, all we keep saying to ourselves, it's not, it is not as bad as we think it is. And, you know, you have those perpetual reminders because, you know, when I think that I'm waking up and I'm not feeling really well, it's like, think about Nate. And that is... That's for us. And if you think about the people within our own body, within our church, our community here, is that we know that there are people within our own body that are experiencing trials, challenges, health issues. We have to pray for them, but it also it puts things all in the, into this greatest perspective of that. One is that we learn that God causes these circumstances for His purposes. Yet we can see these things. And so as we go through this, or we're going to try to look at some, uh, that when, as Christians, so often that we lose our perspective. And I shared with Mark that one of the key takeaways for me last week is, is that uh, I'm convicted because I do. I find myself complaining, even in a work situation. I find myself discontent about something. And all I can say to myself is that I truly have a distorted perspective because of my eyes. I'm looking at a circumstance and I'm choosing to respond to that and it, it's the wrong perspective. Now, I thought we'd look at a few examples in scriptures of the fact that how our eyes can distort our perspective to kind of build off of what Mark had left us last week and then to move us into a perspective that the prophets are going to have on suffering and ultimately this coming Messiah. So turn with me to Psalm 73, if we could for a second. Psalm 73. I'm going to look at a few passages here. So in Psalm 73, I'm just going to read a couple of these first few verses here. Asaph starts looking on his world, and he views it in a very short-sighted way. Because what he is supposing with respect to the wicked is that they are prospering and actually almost concluding that they're suffering no pain at all while the righteous are certainly always suffering in such a way that's unbearable. Now, we know that it's simply not that simple. But yet, if you look at this, this example, this illustration, so Asaph writes, this is truly God is good to Israel, to such are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There, stop at this point. There's a comparison. That so often, we find ourselves that there's a comparison. Success and suffering. We, we compare. This is exactly what's transpiring here, where again, Asaph is comparing. 
He's saying, I, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They're succeeding and I'm not. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. In other words, they feel no pain. They're going through nothing. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. And it goes on from there, but I want you to look ahead to verse 17. Because in verse 17, it's the transition verse, where the perspective changes. Right? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. I understood their end. In other words, the perspective changed when he was in the right frame of mind spiritually. He was in the sanctuary of God, in the presence of God, viewing it as a God would view it, and therefore it changes everything. Perspective changes everything. Now, I want to, using this same, another illustration, is to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to look at a couple of verses here quick, briefly. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Could someone read those three verses, please? Partly by being better possession. Okay, they're experiencing some trials, okay? And then look down at verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that you, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And in this is that despite all, the saints endured. And they had suffered badly. And it's interesting because what follows in the next chapter is the Hall of Faith, right? But now, and it talks about it, and when we, when we have studied through the Hall of Faith, whether it's you know, Moses or Enoch, Abel, and you go through all of those, and Abraham, now jump down to verse, uh, verse 35. Others. It starts with others. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. But they went stoned. They, they were stoned, and they were sawn in tune. They were tempted. With, they were, were slain with the sword. They were wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And then there is the therefore in verse 12. Therefore, we have such a great cloud of witness. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And on down in verse 4, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Again, the perspective. So often is that we look and you can see within here is that you think that's bad? There were others. That was worse than that even. And yet there was endurance. And so what Peter is going to do is Peter is writing, obviously recognizing the, the, the persecution, the suffering that was, that was undergoing with these individuals. And it wasn't for the, the purpose of trying to just say, you know, hey, toughen it up, empathize with them, but yet was trying to redirect their perspective. Now, let me just kind of quickly review with you a few things. Is that we, as we begin to unfold verses 10 through 12, because it starts with, as to this salvation, is that I have to go back and give you a quick overview of 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Because 
almost, within the Greek, it's almost like one continuous sentence or paragraph that keeps going. And so actually what we're going to look at today in verses 10 to 12, and then the next time we meet, is almost like an appendix to these verses right here. It focused on the greatness of salvation that we said was prompted by the great mercy. As we went back to verses 3 through 9, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. Our salvation was prompted by the great mercy of the Father. It was accomplished through the new birth. As we unfolded this verse, we looked at the in being born again, the living hope in Jesus Christ, the inheritance that we receive, and salvation. It was protected by power, through faith, evidence. And these are the verses that Mark had talked about. The vantage point of the perspective that we have seen is that there's only two ways that we can have a perspective. We can either have the perspective of the first illustration, which is is that we could view circumstances and suffering to have that, in a sense, cloud or distort our proper perspective of salvation, or is that we can place salvation first, which is really at the core of what Peter is trying to emphasize with these readers. The circumstances and suffering that they are experiencing must be viewed through the lens of a proper understanding and appreciation and value for their salvation. So the questions that we're going to be looking at, the perspective of the prophets in verses 10 to 11, in that, as I said, when Christians encounter suffering, they often lose their perspective. <coughs> what will a tear do to your eye? Well, it doesn't it? Sometimes, unless you're wearing contacts, it might make it clearer. <laughs> yeah. But yet, that, that when, you, when there's tears in it, and so it's just an example effect is that it, it can distort your perspective. And as I talked about earlier, those are two examples in Asaph and in Hebrews. It shows examples that within that short-sightedness, it can affect everything. And so the questions you ask is, are we really struggling? You know, in those Hebrew passages there, do you know how it precedes all of this? As you start to look at this exhortation that we have back in, in chapter 10, it says to what? To stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And to exhort them. And that is this empathizing with their circumstances. And that is, the, that is our responsibility as the community of believers with each other. The perspective that Peter wants in verses 1 through 12 is that God has caused us to look Godward, to see that our salvation, our suffering come from the hand of a sovereign God. The first few verses that Mark covered in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, focused on a God's choosing of us. The sovereignty of God. In verses 3 through 5, we see again we're born again to a living hope. That through Him, we have been born again. And our suffering has been sent by God to demonstrate the reality of genuine faith. Faith in our faith. I think that that was a key takeaway that I was drawing from what Mark was emphasizing. That the suffering that we go through is truly this reality of our faith for strengthening. You know, um, I think we can glean a great deal from the Old Testament in that in Chronicles, there was this call for those, in fact, it's David's uh, song of thanksgiving, is that there would be this singing and proclaiming the good news of his salvation. And the key part of this verse in Psalm 96, it's when... Oh, sure. Sorry. Good? So in Psalm 96, is this, again, proclaiming the good news. And I wanted to emphasize the significance of every day. 
it says day to day. What does that mean to you? Why? Why is it? Why is? Why was this proclaimed? And why were they exhorted to do this every day? Yes. Mind ourselves. And I want to take us. This reminder is what Peter is going to be doing. Peter is reminding his readers of the greatness of their salvation. We want to be challenged up, I'll say, because where we find ourselves is that are we reminding ourselves every single day of the greatness of God's salvation? I would submit, don't, as often as we should. And as we look at this, is we're going to try to unpack this thing. So let's just, you, I'd asked you for some input as far as what, why is salvation so great? So let me just start it here. Because of the great God who gave it. Why is salvation so great? Because of the great God who gave it. What are some of your responses that you came up with at your tables? We have eternity. Okay? Because we have the inher- an inheritance. Because we have hope. These are all right answers. There's nothing wrong. Keep... Why, why is salvation so great? Grace. Grace. It was enough. Gave us connection with God and other believers, community believers. Simplicity of that, sure. Others. Just a couple of other, I just had it down here. Because of the great Savior who purchased it. Because of the great difference, the change in the life that it produces. These are all the same things that you listed at your table. But now, let me ask you a question. Whose perspective is that from? It is ours. Because what I heard was, I... We, our. Agreed? So as we view it, I'm just trying to do a little exercise here, to show is that as we say, talk about the greatness of salvation, is that we are looking at it from the perspective of the recipients of that. Okay? And I believe what we're going to see in this passage in verses 10 to 12 is that it's going to be different. In fact, as I try to, again, outline or sketch this particular passage for you. Forgive me for being behind your back here. As we look at chapter 10 to 12, is that, again, using this concept of perspective, is that the salvation is that it's going to be reversed. In this particular passage, and let me read it for you, as to this salvation, the prophets, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. And again, remember, we're just taking the verse stretching it out, because it helps us to unpack it. The first thing I want you to see in here is that, it, first of all, this is a passage about salvation. It, when I said that it was connected to verses 3 to 9, this is our proof. As to this salvation, Peter was referring to what he had just talked about. As to this salvation. He then, later on, when he refers to in these things, he's again talking about salvation, or things is salvation. Okay? So, this is the primary uh, thing of of topic. And so the first perspective that we're going to be talking about is the perspective from the Old Testament prophets. There it is. As to this salvation, as to this salvation, as to why is salvation so great? 
you've given me your answers as a recipient. Now what Peter's going to say is that, let's check to see what the prophets had to say. So now he's going to view it from the prophets, from the Old Testament, looking forward. Okay? We see that. It begins, the prophets there, who prophesied. The second perspective is going to be this, excuse me, I got ahead of myself, but these prophets themselves are going to be searching inquiries, they're seeking the revealing, which again focuses on the perspective of them. The second perspective is the Holy Spirit. We see the in that verse 11 there, they were seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It is the perspective of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, is it refers to them. <laughs> and it says, to those who preached, it says. And so who are those that preached? Well, at the time, it was those Old Testament prophets. That was really their role. But as it relates to the context of First Peter, it is Peter. It is the apostles. And in fact, New Testament going forward, that's the preachers. The preachers of the good news. It says, those who preached, who? The gospel to you. Look at the you's, how it connects. It is for you and I. At the, in the context of that, it is for those readers. The New Testament apostles and the preachers. And then finally, interestingly, from the perspective of the angels. And it says, things which the angels long to look. So again, what we choose, we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks is that as we look at the greatness of our salvation, and just let's just say salvation, period, is that we often look at it from the perspective of being a recipient of that salvation. That's wonderful. Praise God for that. But yet, what I have come to appreciate is that when I broaden that perspective, because now all of a sudden, it's like I was giving you an example, is that I have not lived circumstantially in the shoes of someone else. But yet, when we can broaden our perspective to understand where they're coming from, come to worship so much more. When you look at that, again, Old Testament prophets, God, the Holy Spirit, the apostles themselves, and angels, if they have this focus... And this, this longing to understand and appreciate salvation, where do you and I stand within this? What's your perspective? Now, let's just do a little bit of background on this, kind of go through this a little quicker. Is, is we look at the perspectives of salvation. I thought what we would do is to just answer two quick questions, which is, what do we need to be saved from, and what do we need to be saved for? Just two quick questions. But... Rather than going through and you just giving me all those verses that you know, is that I thought we would look at it from the perspective of Peter. What does Peter have to say? And so all the verses that we'll look at, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, is these are from what Peter would say. So let's work together on this since we're in First Peter. Let's start with a couple of these. If I could just have someone start with the first passage, is that what do we need to be saved from First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Someone could read that. And we'll jot down a response to this. What do we save from? Christ bore our sins because we needed to be saved from our sins. 
In fact, he goes on to say that <laughs> healed by his wounds. We can Christ, we can only be healed by Christ's wounds. So, what do we need to be saved from? Peter says, our sins. First Peter three, verse eighteen. Slide over there and just read, read us that verse, please. Christ died for our sins because we need to be saved from our sins. They separate us from God. Is how that in a key part of that verse. So Christ died for our sins, saved from our sins to bring us home to God, to bring us to Himself. In the present life, spiritually. In the future, eternally. Because we are separated, it says. We are separated from God. And so Christ died for our sins because we needed to be saved from our sins. They separated us from God. And so Christ died to bring us to Him. First Peter four seventeen. what does he say? We, we need to be saved from God's judgment. He talks right there. This, this is, Peter starts out and says, It is time for judgment to begin. Sin deserves judgment, period. The Gospel is the good news that Christ bears the judgment of all who trust in Him. 1 Peter 5.8 We need to be saved from the destructive work of the adversary. 1 John 3.8 says, The Bible says that the Son of God came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. When you think about the lies and you know, everything that it tries to influence the temptations and things that frankly would distort or even our proper perspective that is only through Christ, and that's so this, the salvation that we receive obviously ultimately destroys the work of the adversary. What do we need to be saved for? First Peter chapter two, verse twenty five. Going backwards again a little bit, but still in first Peter. First Peter two twenty five. What do we need to be saved for? Someone have that verse. You're continually straying like sheep. Salvation means being brought home, as we said earlier, but being brought home to whom? A loving shepherd. So we are saved for a personal relationship with Christ. 2.25 We are saved for a personal relationship with Christ, the shepherd of our soul. 1 Peter 5.4 What does he say? You notice that this is this unfading... This unfading inheritance in verse 4, isn't it? What he's referring to, we are saved as an, uh, for an inheritance of glory. For an inheritance of glory. No more shame, but honor. No more disgrace or humiliation, but ultimately revelation of glory, children of God. Finally, 1 Peter 5.10. Sharing in the glory of Christ. The God of all grace, we're, this, we're saved to share in the glory. As a result of this, of course, you have this joy. Uh, if you look at the result of this in, in 1 Peter 4.13, there is this rejoicing with exaltation. What do we save for? For a personal relationship with Christ, for an inheritance of the glory, for sharing in the glory of Christ, and rejoicing. result of that. Verses from Peter's perspective through the Holy Spirit of what is salvation for, and what are we saved from? Okay? So quickly, as we look back, it's what Peter's aim is. The aim that we're going to see in verses 10 to 12 over the next couple of weeks is to intensify our gratitude, our joy, and our worship as a, as a perspective of salvation. Gratitude, joy, and worship. The value of this great salvation. And what I would submit is that even today, as we... 
begin uh, this study of Malachi even, and in this focus of worship, this is really at the core. Is that if there is half-hearted worship, it is likely is that it is not true gratitude that outflow, true joy in worship. Now, in the first few, as we look back at the sources of our salvation, we saw in verses 1 and 2 that it was chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, sanctified by the Spirit, saved by the Son in verses 1 and 2. Joy of our salvation, which was that result, as we look back at the verses that we had covered, 3 to 9, it was prompted by God's great mercy, accomplished through our new birth, protected by His power, Evidence of true, genuine faith. Kind of an interesting thing. Um, when you look at uh, verses, this is not in your, your handouts or anything, but just a noteworthy observation, is that when you unpack these first 12 verses, is that you can't help but notice that this, this Trinitarian type of formula, okay? In other words, if you go back and just, just take an eye shot of verses 1 to 5, what you're going to see is the emphasis on the work of the Father there. Do you see that? And then in verses 6 through 9 that Mark had covered, is that we see it, the Jesus Christ mentioned specifically. It is the, obviously this formula of the Son. Perspectives on it. And then t- today and next time we meet, it's the perspective even of the Spirit. So you just, it's interesting how you see the Trinitarian representation through these verses. So, let's begin to unpack these verses finally, getting to the verse. <laughs> Just a little introduction to that. Okay, as to this salvation, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. The prophets were whom? Who do you think that they're, they're referencing by prophets? Thoughts? Yeah, they're the Old Testament prophets. In fact, it would be really all of them, and they had what was their role, is that basically the, the prophets were those who proclaimed the truth. So it goes all the way back. Michael is going to be starting Malachi today, so we go to the end, but you can go all the way back to, to Moses. So as the prophets were those who proclaimed the truth of God with inspiration. With inspiration. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, I have it, let me just read it for you. It said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Here it is. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One of the things that we so often is that we, we can get so much contribution as believers today from these Old Testament prophets. I think it's, a, it's exciting that we've been having such an emphasis of teaching from the Old Testament on many of these prophets. But in that verse is there is it says that they themselves, that before you, that they were persecuted. So if you think about the fact, is, and this emphasis is that what Jesus was saying is, is that these Old Testament prophets, they help us from an, an example perspective. In other words, they're examples of persever- perseverance in persecution. I, I always so value someone that has gone through something already. Don't you? Because you can say, well, you know, and they can be a great encouragement to you to exhort you to, through a difficult time. 
but because they have experienced it. God has given us these Old Testament prophets for this very purpose. It says that they have already experienced much of that. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, God spoke through the prophets because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of Christ that moved these Old Testament prophets. But I understand Peter to mean here the Holy Spirit had this task. It was to speak of Christ's coming. It, it served really as a, as a guide to the apostles. They went through, certainly, the, the times through Acts. Likewise, the Holy Spirit empowered the preaching of the Gospel to the men that might be saved at some point. Well, what did they prophesy about? Going to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this, the salvation. In this you greatly rejoice, though not for a little while. And it goes on down to verse 10. Of this salvation is what it is. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Stop. What did they prophesy about? Future grace. In fact, it was the grace that would come to you. It was future grace grace. It's salvation. In other words, they were back here in the Old Testament looking forward to Christ's death on the cross, His resurrection. They were looking forward to that. I'm going to give you one example of of, uh, true appreciation for something. Okay? So, let's just take, I'll take a verse. Let me go back and, and I can go all the way back, let's say, to the Old Testament. And you can, um, let's say I go back to Genesis. That talks about um, the scepter that shall not depart from Judah. To Moses, did, what did that mean? He didn't know. Yet we have that unfolding of that and we have it. it go, uh, here's another one. Let's take Deuteronomy. Okay? This one's an interesting one. Deuteronomy 18. I'll give you two verses on this. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. This is Moses. Okay? Again, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly. Okay? Who is that? Okay, do, you notice, do you notice the pronoun in there? Is, it was what? It was singular, wasn't it? I'll read it again. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Okay? Now, Peter, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 22, 23. Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. He's preaching in, in Solomon's portico. And he says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that very soul you shall not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, having God having raised up His servant, Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So, 
perspective. Moses says it, has no uh, understanding completely. And yet Peter is saying, um, let me take you back. Takes it right back. And so this is this familiarity that we see here in this looking forward. And, and I, there's an anticipation. When you're excited about, you know, I'm, when Rachel was coming home and I haven't seen her, you know, I'm just really excited when she came home. I just was, I, I was anticipating it. Do, do you have the same excitement and anticipation of the Lord coming? We should. And we, the answer should be yes. Amen to that. How does John end Revelation? Come, Lord, quickly. There was this anticipation that I want us to appreciate because we don't. This, I believe, that when these prophets were prophesying of this future grace, there was great anticipation. In other words, they themselves had no understanding of the true providential plan being unfolded. You and I do. It's right here. This is where I got real convicted in my study, John. I was telling you, because I don't. Changes everything, that perspective. There's wisdom in that Old Testament psalm and in First Chronicles where David is saying, sing to the Lord and praise Him for your salvation day to day. It, it, is, it has to be that reminder, Marlene. That I, 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 to me, you're exactly right. We're, our, our minds, we're finite in our minds so often. And what happens is, to kind of describe what I'm hearing, is that these prophets were writing about a salvation to come that was far greater and larger than anything that they've actually experienced. What we fall prey to is, is that we limit it to what we've experienced. And, and that, I think, is what we're trying to change. Because I think when we do broaden that perspective, it does drive us to Him. Redemption is that, is that ultimately salvation, our redemption will be complete. We are experiencing until we are in the presence of God. When, we are, when God chooses to take us from here, as believers in Christ, God chooses to take us to Him, to be in His presence, and in that fellowship, that's when it becomes complete. The ultimate providence of God and His plan of salvation as it relates to all, as the salvation for you individually will be complete at that point. The life that we live now is that you experience salvation not in the, the complete fullness of it yet. It is this, this life of sanctification. It's the very struggles that we have as believers because our adversary is constantly trying to drag us down, frustrate us, to, to distort our perspective on that. It is complete. And that's, like this next question, is it talks a little bit about, you know, was grace not present? That's a simple one. Grace was present in the Old Testament. It's an absolute of that. But yet theirs was yet for a future. What we're trying to do is, is that do we have that same excitement, anticipation for God completing the work that He began in you? Because we know that He will. And so how do we live today, day to day, with that? Receiving the fullness of Christ, you know, the redemption that we have in Christ to complete that salvation. Hmm. Okay. But on that point, though, Mick, to your, your question, though, is that 
are you, we're satisfied with that. We know that to be a fact. But how does it change your life and your perspective? In other words, do, you be, do we take it for granted? That's your question. Fullness of that. That is correct. Right. Your eternal state as a believer is when God chooses to take you from this earth, this life. Be, your life is complete in Christ. That's, we've received the finished work, the complete work of Christ on the cross that allows that. Left to our own, we're not. That's why grace has always been the same. Old Testament, New Testament. We're saved by faith. There, our faith is looking back to what Christ did on the cross. To these Old Testament saints, it was looking forward to what Christ was going to complete. That's remarkable. Build on that because there's no way I can finish today. So I'm just gonna put... <laughs> what am I on? What, what page am I on? Even... <laughs> What's really intriguing is that these prophets, it's said in here that they were searching diligently, they were seeking. What were they seeking? They were seeking to know. And so they were. Prophets, they inquired and they searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, to Christ's future. So what the prophets would be saying to you and I right now, I was looking for answers. Have them. At least most of them. <laughs> you have quite a few of the answers. So are you searching? And do you have that same anticipation that these prophets have? Well, let me just finish this slide off so I have at least a break point in here. These were, won't necessarily be our focus so much, but they knew that a Savior was going to come. I looked at those. But in Psalms 2 and Isaiah 9, 6, you know, the Psalms say God will not leave His Holy One to see corruption. Psalm 2 talks about His King on being set on His holy hill. He would rule with a rod of iron and a scepter. The prophets prophesied of Messiah that would save Bind the brokenhearted. They would bring the salvation to the ends of the earth. That is why Jesus went into the synagogue, as you know, in, in, uh, in Luke, and he said it was what fulfilled from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach to the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, release the captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, and to set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Messianic prophecy of the coming Savior. He would come to save. We'll st- I'm going to stop at that point, and because there's just there's just so much more that I don't want to get us going on that's going forward. So keep these handouts as we go through, because we haven't begun to look at really what what comes to this following here is that this perspectives of salvation as it relates to these prophets. This looks specifically about the fact that what intrigues me is that they didn't have understanding, but it didn't it didn't change anything and how they viewed it. So, um, George, could you close us in our time of prayer? Sure. Thank you. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time.